Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well, always, always, always. I'm still so thrilled about uh, the news we uh, spoke about yesterday, which is, oh, oh, tomorrow it's a week old, um, that um, the foundress of the Benedictines of Mary, um, Queen of the Apostles, who was buried four years ago, Hold on, sorry. Okay, good. Um, who was buried on the Feast of the Ascension. Uh, her body was exhumed uh, on the Feast of the Ascension last week after four years, as is customary uh, to do for a foundress to bring her into the Abbey and found her body incorrupt. It's so hopeful, so exciting, uh, such a promise of our own eternal life and uh, it's all over the the website so all over the internet so you've probably seen it we sent out an email yesterday on it um, and if you did not get the email you could go to our website motherofisraelshope.org it's on the home page um, and um, you could read about it but today we're yet in the octave of the ascension uh, after vatican ii um, all the octaves except for Easter and perhaps Christmas were done away with by the church um, in, in the new rite. But um, we, we want to live the fullness of the faith that God has given us, the full deposit of faith, uh, all that God has done through his church through the ages, through 2,000 years. So we are now in Ascension Tide, the octave of the ascension which began last thursday uh in the latin rite we don't switch it to sunday um as you know so many of the holy days have been switched to sunday uh that people don't even know hardly what's going on anymore uh it, it's just a sunday they don't realize it, and they're just missing so much of the faith so we celebrated last thursday on the actual day and uh, again, we're in the octave, eight days of Ascension Tide. And I want to read this morning Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò's uh, homily on the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord. Uh, everything he writes is wonderful. He's a, he's a true shepherd. Um, and I'm, I'm just thrilled that he's kind of taken us, uh, who's the past nuncio of the United States, of the Vatican to the United States, but he's taken us under his wing and often writes wonderful letters to guide us through these uh, turbulent times. And so he, is, um, he begins with the, the comment from Acts chapter 1, from the reading for Ascension, uh, for the Feast of the Ascension, men of Galilee, why do you stand there in amazement looking up to heaven? And of course, it's in Acts chapter 1, 
when our Lord was with his disciples and he told them now to be witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and the utter ends of the earth. He gave Israel the vocation in Isaiah to be a light to the nations, the Gentiles, which means nations. Um, but they failed over and over and over again. But then came Pentecost and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit, which filled them. And now with him, with the Holy Spirit in them, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now they could finally fulfill their mission with power. And our Lord said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the utter ends of the earth. And so when he ascended into heaven, they stood there looking up, where's he going? And, and he addresses them, the, the angel comes and addresses the men of Galilee. Why do you stand there in amazement looking up to heaven? Um, and uh, Archbishop Vigano writes, the question is asked by two angels of the apostles who are engrossed in seeing the Lord ascend. The heavenly messenger's question is, their question is rhetorical. The prodigy which derogates from the laws of nature is nothing compared to the miracle of the resurrection to which they will bear witness up until their martyrdom. Why are you surprised to see the Lord ascend to heaven? Are you surprised, as if the, the angels are saying to him in Acts, Acts chapter 1, are you surprised to see him miraculously ascend to disappear in the clouds? Or are you surprised <clears throat> that he is leaving you alone precisely now that he has risen and can restore the kingdom of Israel? But how has he not already told you? I am going to prepare the place for you. And when I have gone away and prepared a place for you, will I come again and take you with me so that where I am, you may also be? He told them that in John chapter 14. Why did not the Lord stay with us? If he had not ascended into heaven so soon, or indeed, if he were still here on earth, he could have traveled and made his gospel known with the authority of a God who became man, had died and risen again. Christianity would have spread faster and more successfully, also sparing many martyrs' lives. If the Lord had remained here on earth, he could have truly restored in the Catholic Church the kingdom of Israel being himself the one to govern as pontiff and as king. He would have gone through the centuries without growing old, and this would have been enough to convert him, convert to him the world. This is why the apostles are amazed, because they still act and think according to the mentality of the world. Our Lord, after 30 years of a hidden life and three of ministry, in three days, defeats the ancient serpent with his own passion and death, regaining at the price of his most precious blood every soul taken away from eternal salvation by Adam's sin. He redeemed us, John, uh, our Lord says uh, in John 15. He redeemed us. He bought us slaves of the devil to make us free no longer, be servants, but be his friends. In the 40 days following the resurrection, he taught the apostles the truths of the faith and to celebrate the sacraments. 
And at the end of this accelerated seminar held by none other than the Lord himself, the time has come to leave the upper room. Go, Jesus says to them, go throughout the world, preach the gospel to all men, and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark chapter 16. It is his last command, his legacy, before he leaves this earth. Only 10 days pass between the ascension of the Lord and the descent of the Holy Spirit. Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, you will receive our Lord's words, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit who will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The flames of the paraclete that descend upon the heads of the apostles and of the Blessed Virgin Mary on the day of Pentecost give birth to the Holy Church, the mystical body of Christ. And from that moment, the doors of the cynical, until then closed for fear of the Jews, are thrown open and new people emerge, reborn in the Holy Spirit, who no longer think according to the spirit of the world, but according to God. We will sing it in a few days. Send forth your spirit and they will be created. You will renew the face of the earth. The moment they allowed themselves to be touched by grace, they changed their way of thinking. And it is because of this that they understand the need for ascension. The church is born, dear ones. I'm reading um, Archbishop's article. He didn't say dear ones, I said. (laughs) The church is born when the 11 who have remained faithful to their master understand that void left on this earth by the Lord, that space of time that goes from his ascension into heaven to his return in glory at the end of time must be used to cause to bloom the infinite treasures of the merits of Christ's passion with the preaching of the gospel to all nations, with the witness to our faith, with the conversion of souls to the one shepherd in the one fold, in one baptism, in one profession of faith. The Holy Church is the continuation of the presence of her divine head until the end of the world. Beloved, this happened over 2,000 years ago, but we need to go back and to the beginning and imagine it happening today because this is our mission to preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit to the end of the earth, to every creature. And one scripture says, when the gospel is preached to every creature, then the end shall come. We want our Lord to return, but not yet because too many people have not heard of him yet. There's the music for our first break, dear ones. Um, uh, When we have our second break, we'll have the whole half hour to ourselves, and you'll be welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Uh, Toll-free number, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Hi, this is Jim Havens, co-founder of the National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood. Some truths are self-evident, some rights are unalienable. It is a scientific fact that life begins at conception fertilization. It is a foundational moral truth that we ought not murder innocent human beings. Every human being is a human person with a right to life and the equal protection of law according to the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yet we have an ongoing daily mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters. It's time for all men and women of goodwill to rise up together in the public square and say no more. Come join us in Albany, New York on Saturday, June 3rd. Men, let's go first and gather at 9 a.m. for the Men's March. Women, we need you to join us at 1045 a.m. for the Rally for Personhood outside of the New York State Capitol. We'll have some great speakers along with terrific opportunities for formation and fellowship before and after. Go to themensmarch.com for all the details. See you in Albany. Please join us in a prayer to our guardian angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O holy guardian angel, take care of our soul and body. Enlighten our mind that we may know the Lord better and love him with all our heart. Help us in our prayers so that we may not give in to distractions. Assist us with your advice so that we may see the good and carry it out with generosity. Defend us from the insidious snares of the enemy and sustain us in temptations that we may always be victorious. Remedy our coldness in our worship of the Lord. Cease not to protect us until you have brought us into paradise where we will praise our good God together for all eternity. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we're thrilled to be with you, and we're going to continue with the letter of Archbishop Mario Carlo uh, Carlo Maria Vigano on the Ascension, because we are right in the midst of the octave of the Ascension, which began last Thursday. Um, um, and we we ended by saying that the Holy Church, by reading uh, Archbishop Vigano's statement, that the Holy Church is the continuation of the presence of her divine head until the end of the world. It is into her most pure bosom, the Holy of Holies, the altar of God, that in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, under the Eucharistic veils, the Lord descends with his glorious body and blood, his soul and his divinity. <clears throat> and it is men who perform this ineffable miracle, thanks to whose priesthood our Lord Jesus Christ remains on this earth, present to the eyes of faith, a prisoner of the tabernacle, so that with St. Thomas we can recognize him and adore him as our Lord and our God, even without putting fingers in his holy wounds. The most blessed sacrament of the altar, the Holy Church's beating heart, is the divine gift of the Lord, who ascends to heaven to his faithful 
whom he leaves in this land of exile, in this valley of tears, in this battlefield that never knows respite. And while we remember the mystery of the ascension by symbolically extinguishing the Paschal candle while singing the gospel, another flame remains lit. It is the one in the, in the red lamp that burns next to the tabernacle. It honors the presence of the King of Kings, who humbles himself in his infinite magnificence by exposing himself to irreverence, to sacrilege, and the profanation of the wicked, in order to have the consolation of seeing us prostrate before him, to pray to him, to thank him for the favors granted, to implore him for a grace, to ask him for forgiveness for our shortcomings, to receive him in the most holy Eucharist, and to make our souls the temple of the most holy Trinity, to put all our faith, all our hope, all our love in him. And the prayer we speak says, make me believe evermore in you, to have hope in you, to love you. If our Lord had wanted his own triumph, according to the mentality of the world, he would have created us without free will, programming us to fulfill only his will, without merit and without guilt. He would not have created even the angels capable of sin, avoiding having against him the ranks of rebellious spirits. He would have made us all equal, distributing us equally around the planet, equipping us with the bare necessities and controlling out and controlling our every action. In short, he would have acted like, <laughs> Archbishop uh, Vigano says, he would have acted like Klaus Schwab, who would like to enslave us and erase what makes us human, and our creator, wonderfully divine, our uniqueness, our freedom to love him, and to reciprocate the magnificence of his graces with our misery. If any of you listening uh, to this letter of Archbishop Vigano um, does not know who Klaus Schwab is, he is the leader of the One World uh, uh, one world uh, reset all of that um, and transhumanism to control the world and really to make us robots Archbishop Vigano says the Lord's success is not accomplished according to the mentality of the world because if it were so it would be nothing but an illusion an ephemeral firework like all worldly things that do not come from God the success of Christ takes place with that delicacy of the Father who leaves the Son the satisfaction of demonstrating his own abilities to him, the fruit drawn from the Father's teaching. Like the craftsman who, having to be absent, leaves the workshop to the most expert to give him the opportunity to confirm the well-placed trust and he knows that when he comes back, he will not be disappointed. Our Lord ascends to heaven because from this moment, each of us, and especially the successors of the apostles, have the mandate to proclaim God's salvation in a rebellious and apostate world, to bring the light of Christ into the darkness of sin and death. Our Lord said, I am sending you 
like sheep among wolves, foretelling that a disciple is not worth more than the teacher, nor a servant worth more than his master. This is a moment of trial, which has lasted with mixed results for 2,000 years. The church continues to make Christ present on earth and to offer him mystically to the Father. But how many wolves disguised not only as lambs, but even as shepherds? How many corrupt mercenaries? How many corrupt mercenaries deluded that they can defraud their master before his return? How many traitors who seek to destroy the church precisely to erase the presence of God and prevent the salvation of souls? In the question of the two angels to the disciples, there is a warning that Jesus just as he was taken away from you, assumed into heaven, so will return from heaven, Acts chapter 111. This refers to the end of time, when our Lord, triumphant over death and sin, will return to judge the living and the dead, to conclude with a universal judgment that victory over the ancient serpent announced the, in the Proto-Evangelium, that's Genesis 3.15, inaugurated with the incarnation, accomplished with the passion and death on the cross, but still incomplete because it lacks the public condemnation of Satan and his servants. In inexorable and inexorable condemnation, already written, but which has yet to be pronounced, we sing, um, uh, quote, the book that has been written, in which everything is contained, will be read, and the world will be judged. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? If we look around us, we should say yes, because the adversities we go through allow many souls to convert and return to God. And this celebration is proof of that. But if we look at the world we see things that cause terror, starting with the apostasy, corruption and immorality in which the Catholic hierarchy finds itself. Many of my confreres, Archbishop Vigano says, and many priests think it is easier to promote a soft version of Christianity, humanitarian, environmentalist, and globalist, because it is integral its integral addition is considered unsuitable for the mentality of the world. With a mercantile mentality, they believe they can rejuvenate the warehouse by proposing a new product that meets the taste of customers. Undemanding things, as generic as they are, reassuring for those who don't want to change anything in their lives. Solidarity acceptance, inclusion, synodality, resilience, um, eco-sustainability, and above all, no reference to sin, therefore no original sin, no redemption, but only a quote-unquote walking together toward the abyss. The passion and death of the Lord is encumbrance. It is divisive. It is not inclusive. 
It does not build bridges. It builds walls. I'll repeat that line, beloved. The passion and death of the Lord is encumbrance. It is divisive. It is not inclusive. It does not build bridges. It builds walls. But is this perhaps the faith that the Lord taught the apostles during the three years of public ministry? after the resurrection, until the moment of the ascension. Is that why he instituted holy orders and all the sacraments? Is this what he commanded all nations to be taught? For this reason did the martyrs die in atrocious torments, to be told that the divine mission of the church to convert peoples is solemn nonsense? For this reason... Have the holy fathers and doctors of the church dedicated their lives to the preaching of the doctrine, to listen to the delusional and rambling speeches against those who remain faithful to the holy tradition, marginalized as backwards or pathological nostalgics? Were Catholic priests, uh, he's talking about a recent statement of our own holy father, Were Catholic priests persecuted for this in Henry VIII's England or in the France of the Terror to see prohibited that mass which is hated by heretics of all times? The two angels not only admonish the disciples with their heads up, but also each of us. That Jesus, who was taken away from you into heaven, so will he return, just as you saw him go into heaven. And when he returns... He will ask his administrators what they have done with the priceless talents that he has left them in the coffers of the Holy Church. Give an account of your stewardship, he will say to them. I tremble, Archbishop Vigino says. I tremble at the idea of the judgment of God, who has established the Pope and the bishops in authority so that they may be other Christ's and preach the gospel to all peoples. And today the church finds herself infested by a Sanhedrin of hypocrites, heretics, and apostates, intent on dividing with the almighty of the earth his unfitting garment. How was the patrimony of Christ, made up of the sacraments and the holy mass, made to blossom and bear fruit by copying the supper of Protestants and forbidding the apostolic rite? How were the talents of preaching and apostolate multiplied? The treasures of the doctrine of the holy theologians by promoting Irenaeus, ecumenism and um, sacrilegiosity, participating in the pantheon of Abu Dhabi's Abrahamic religions by having the infernal idol the infernal idol of Pachamama worship in the Vatican, by encouraging the vices and marking the virtues, by promoting unworthy prelates and persecuting good priests, these corrupt, mitered bureaucrats will rush to unearth the treasure they have buried, thinking they can return it with impurity without making any profit when it was conquered by the blood of the Lamb. There's the music for our second break, beloved. We'll take a break here and come right back. 
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for May 24th. Today we celebrate Saint Mary Magdalene de Pazzi. During her 41 years, Mary Magdalene de Pazzi was in such close union with God that she is called the ecstatic saint, but she also knew times of spiritual dryness. Born in Florence in 1566, Catherine de Pazzi entered the local Carmelite convent at 16, taking the name Sister Mary Magdalene. After only one year, she became critically ill. Death seemed near, so her superiors let her make her profession of vows from a cot in the chapel. Immediately after, she fell into an ecstasy that lasted some hours. The ecstasies, repeated after she received communion on the following 40 mornings, were rich experiences of union with God. To preserve the revelations, Mary Magdalene dictated her prayer experiences over the next six years to her sister secretaries. Her words filled five large volumes of books that recorded ecstasies as well as long periods of trial. Mary Magdalene endured violent temptations and great physical suffering. She died in 1607 and was canonized in 1669. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I would always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord, and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church, and that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear ones, to Mother Miriam Live. We are almost at the end of an article that I've been a letter on the ascension from Archbishop uh, Maria Carlo Maria Vigano. Uh, we have about um, oh another page to go, so I'm going to take a break right now. And we have a call from Santino from Ohio, whose email we read yesterday. Hi, Santino. Oh, hi. Sorry if I'm asking the same question again. No problem. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. I, I didn't hear your yesterday's episode because um, I've been so busy and stuff. But I was just curious um, if you would happen to, by any chance, know the Catholic Church's teaching on tiger parenting? Well, uh, Santino, uh, yes, I did address it yesterday. And I don't know that the Catholic Church has any official teaching on tiger parenting. But when you asked the question, I needed to look it up to see what it was because I hadn't heard the expression and and found out it was a very, very strict form of teaching uh, that really um, uh, is geared uh, at the success of children. But it is totally false uh, on a wrong track because our success and again, it ruins many children. I mentioned yesterday that tiger parenting to 
to uh, put such uh, strict um, pressure on children to study 24-7, so to speak, and to uh, succeed uh, has, has proved to be, in Japan, the highest the cause of the highest rate of suicide in the world. Um, and you, Santino, as you know, put a couple of links in your article on um, one particular woman who was uh, parented that way and wound up killing her parents, which is, of course, not normal or not the usual situation. But it's totally false to raise children to think that their success has to do with money or position or worldly success. It does not. Um, God has made us in his image and likeness. And what every parent should teach their children as to be fully successful is to be a holy and good and loving human being uh, with faith in God, to follow him, to be in his church, to be raised on the sacraments, to grow in virtue, and yes, to use the gifts God has given you to study, uh, to be responsible in the world, all of that. But your success does not depend on being a millionaire or a billionaire, billion, billion, can't even say it, billionaire, billionaire or, or uh, any other mark of success the world gives. It is determined on our being saints. Oh, okay. Yeah, that uh, answers my question. Um, uh, thank you for uh, what you have told me, and um, uh, happy uh, belated Easter to you, and Thanks, God bless. Santino. Do you have children, Santino? I do not. I am, uh, I am 17 years old right now. Oh, you're a good, mature 17. Well, God bless you, and if God leads you toward marriage and children, um, you be a true father to them as our heavenly father is to us and grow them up with love and uh, an example in you that they could follow and reach heaven. Amen to that. Amen, Santino. God bless you, dear one. God bless you. Uh, uh, beloved, I'm going to go back and if we have another call, I'll take it. But I just want to finish Archbishop Vigano's letter on the Ascension. It's so wonderful. He says that the Ascension of the Lord shows us that it is his will that we cooperate in the work of salvation because we are living members of his body, which is the church. And as such, we must uh, docilely follow its divine head. He asks, God asks the pastors whom he has ordered to preach the gospel and baptize all nations without leaving any misunderstandings about the condemnation that awaits those who do not convert and those who do not proclaim the gospel. Because the authority of pastors is vicarious, that is, it exists precisely because it is exercised in the physical absence of our Lord, who is the sole head of the church. Our Lord said, Whoever listens to you, to the disciples, listens to me. And whoever despises you, despises me. <clears throat> These are words that reassure those who are despised by the world because they preach Christ, but which must terrify those who are welcomed by the world because they preach another gospel in the name of Christ 
and woe to him who causes Christ to be despised, because with Christ's authority, he spreads error, legitimizes sin and vice. He's talking about pastors now, because with Christ's authority, he has the authority of Christ, but with it, he spreads error, legitimizes sin and vice, causes scandal with his own way of life. Archbishop Vigano says, the Lord goes away without noise, as in silence he has written. Risen, that's in the ascension, alone. He lets himself be seen by the disciples so that the evidence of his ascension into heaven is followed by faith in his sacramental presence in the most holy Eucharist, guarded by the church, the hope of reuniting with him in a celestial glory and the ardent charity in loving him and one's neighbor for his sake. This is the legacy that the Church of Christ has transmitted intact for 2,000 years and that no one can modify or adulterate, deluding himself that he can get away with it. God is not mocked because when the Lord returns, he will want to receive back possession of the priceless spiritual goods he has granted to his ministers for administration and for which they will have to give account. Let us all therefore treasure everyone from the leaders of the church to the humblest faithful, the time that remains to us of the time we have left in this mortal life before finding ourselves before God for the particular judgment of the time that remains in the world and in the church before the end of time, before the last judgment. If even just one soul has been won over to Christ by our preaching, by our example, by one of our good words, we will be able to serenely show the Lord that we have multiplied the talents received and hear the answer from him, bravo, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Archbishop ends the homily by saying, may this hope be valid above all for those the Lord has placed in authority in the church. This is the intention of the prayers that we will place at the feet of the Queen of Apostles and Mother of the Church, Mary Most Holy, and may it be so. Archbishop Carlo Mario Vigano. What a good man, what a good um, priest and archbishop and prelate of the church, a true shepherd, not a false one. Um, uh, that's the end of the article. And we'll take your calls and your emails now, beloved. Again, the toll-free number with anything on your heart whatsoever is one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have Michael from Massachusetts on the line. Hello, Michael. Hi, Mother. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful, dear one. How about yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, Good. You sound well, like you're I'm in an quite... echo chamber. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me um, let me quickly try to fix that. Um, I have a question for you. Yesterday, you uh, you answered a question about going out to eat on Sundays. 
Yes. And you explained um, why that we would want to avoid that. And I think maybe right. shopping, you know, doing shopping on Sundays was also part of that question. Right. I was wondering if something like laundry as well, would uh, we would want to avoid on Sundays doing laundry. Do, doing laundry. Well, you know, in our little religious community, we avoid doing laundry on Sunday and we avoid cleaning and working. Um, it's not a sin to do laundry on Sunday. Um as long as you have a machine at home or by hand and don't go to the laundromat so they don't have to stay open on Sunday. But um, it's not a sin, Michael, no. The idea is to spend the day, um, a day of apart from work, apart from labor, uh, worshiping God. And, um, you know, when God gave the Israelites a manna in the wilderness for six days of the week, they were not to gather it on Sunday. They were to refrain from all work on Sunday. And um, I would say it's it's a good thing uh, for us to strive for, that we're home on Sunday, but we don't leave Sunday for cleaning or laundry. Again, it's not a sin, but uh, it, our, our life will change if we work everything around six days and have Sunday truly know what it is to be free of work, to be free of chores, to be free to walk with God and rest and get together with family or friends or do enjoyable things or walk in the park. It, it's a wonderful thing to have everything taken care of or not, but leave Sunday completely free as God's day. So that's my response. Again, it's not sin. But it's, it's a good thing to strive. I know many people are home Sunday. They work during the week. They use it to clean and all of that. I, I don't advise that. It would be very good if we just totally put Sunday aside for worshiping God, for going to church, for um, even doing good and beautiful things with the family or with friends. That, that sounds great. Thank you so much, Mother. Okay, Michael, God bless you and thanks. Thank we you. have an email from Linda, and Linda says, Mother Miriam, thank you in advance for, for providing us with the matters of God, and may his love be with you always. Thank you, Linda. <clears throat> she says, my question is on the subject of antiphons used in the Catholic Mass. At Easter, I became curious. To my surprise, there are seven. How come at Catholic Mass we revolve around Primarily three. Thank you. Antiphons, uh, Linda, are short verses, uh, usually before and after uh, the reading of a psalm. And so they, um, in, a, in a sense, they not only relate to the psalm, they, they, they highlight its meaning. And so at the Mass, um, uh, we have fewer readings, but at Easter, you say there were seven, I think. Did you say that? I'm curious. Seven, because uh, because we have so many psalms at Easter. We have so many readings at Easter. So each one has an antiphon before and after. That would be that would be the the difference. Um, the same thing with the liturgy of the hours during the day, the divine office uh, daily. We have a psalm before and after uh, each psalm. We have an antiphon 
before and after each song, uh, except during now, Paschal time, the whole Easter season. We have the Alleluia at the beginning, and that we have so many psalms, and then we repeat the Alleluia at the end. Uh, we have an email from Janet, um, uh, which I'll read it. It's a sentence, and then we'll answer it when we come back from our break, dear ones. Janet says, Hello, the priests at my church are of the neo-catechumen order. I'm not sure about this. Thanks. All right, Janet, we'll, uh, we'll answer that when we come back. Dear ones, this is our final break for, t- for, for today's program. We'll have 10 minutes plus when we come back. Still time for you to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam. Many of you are familiar with Mother Miriam Live, but I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as The Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to The Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Are you ready to take on the world of flesh and the devil with just the facts? This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Avam, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. The average person actually uses this phone for at least three hours and 50 minutes. If we just dedicate some time to praying the rosary, we will eliminate all those things that constantly distract us and waste our time. We actually replace it with something constructive and holy, praying the rosary. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, just before the break, um, we read an email from Janet who says, Hello, uh, the priests at my church are of the neo-catechumen order. I'm not sure about this, thanks. Um, 
I quickly looked up the status of that order during the break. And uh, there were great problems with that order uh, doing um, very uh, uh, departing from the rubrics of the mass uh, and other things. But the the uh, Vatican has um, visited them in years past. And they, I, as far as I know, they are now approved um, as long as they uh, do nothing apart from the church's teaching on the liturgy of the mass. And so as long as your priest um, follows the rubrics of the mass and doesn't introduce other um, um, words or motions or, or ideas, as long as he celebrates the mass in a holy manner, um, as far as I know, uh, he should be fine. You could look up the neocatechumen order, many, many articles on it, but it, from what I've just quickly looked up, um, it has been approved by the church uh, as long as they do not continue the irregularities that they had in the past. Um, we have a, a comment uh, on YouTube from Adam. We were just speaking about uh, Catholics um, uh, not going to restaurants or, tour or stores on Sunday, truly using Sunday as a day of rest. And um, um, he says, uh, regarding your stating that Catholics should not be in restaurants, stores, etc., on Sundays, it may now be too late to turn back because Catholics have spent such a long time living like the world. Well, this is true. Um, uh, but we need to be in the world and of it. And, you know, if a child grows up and learns how to steal and, and how to curse and how to treat people poorly, uh, that doesn't mean he cannot be uh, restored and be brought back to a godly behavior. And Adam says, Mother, this is directly contrary to the catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, the catechism, number 2187, he says, explicitly states that eating and working at restaurants on Sundays is permissible, and eating out is a traditional way to worship on Sundays. He says, please do not lead people astray. Your rhetoric is a little strong here, promising that nuclear war and devastation is imminent and that Catholics eating at a restaurant on Sundays has in part caused it is absolutely ridiculous. Well, Adam, my goodness, I never spoke about um, uh, nuclear war and devastation being imminent and that Catholics eating at a restaurant on Sunday has in part caused it. I've never said anything of the sort or alluded to it. What I'm saying is that by making people work on Sundays, by eating in restaurants or shopping, um, we are setting a poor example of not setting a Lord aside the Lord's Day, and we are acting as if, well, we're saved, we could care less about the rest of the world. You say Catechism 21.8.87 explicitly states that eating and working at restaurants on Sundays is permissible, and eating out is a traditional way to worship on Sundays. Well, let me read you exactly what the Catechism says. Paragraph 21.87 states this, quote, Sanctifying Sundays and holy days requires a common effort. Every Christian should avoid 
making unnecessary demands on others that would hinder them from observing the Lord's Day. Traditional activities such as sports, restaurants, etc., and social necessities such as public services require some people to work on Sundays, but everyone should still take care to set aside sufficient time for leisure. With temperance and charity, the faithful will see to it that they avoid the excesses and violence sometimes associated with popular leisure activities. In spite of economic constraints, public authorities should ensure citizens a time intended for rest and divine worship. Employers have a similar obligation toward their employees. So Adam, uh, the catechism says the opposite of what you're claiming it says. It doesn't say eating and working at restaurants on Sundays is permissible and eating out is a traditional way to worship on Sunday. No, it doesn't say that. Um, it says that some people um, will be excused if they must work on Sundays and yet they still need to, to set aside time to worship God. So um, Adam, um, uh, ask God to help you to know him and to love him and to worship him and to serve him in this life um, and to be with him forever in the next. Uh, this is not um, contrary to the catechism at all. Your thinking is contrary to the catechism. Um, okay, now we have an email from Mary. Mary says, hello, Mother. A while ago, there was a show addressing a healing mass given by the Queen of Heaven Healing Ministries in which a group of approximately four ladies wearing all white were offering. Uh, Mary, you don't say what they were offering. Uh, one lady was giving the healing and laying her hands. She took over when Tony, the healing minister, passed away. Is there any validity to this? I'm a bit confused. They also follow a layperson named John Leary, who gives prophecies about the future. He writes books and has a following on his webpage. He is from Rochester, New York. I'm very wary of believing this man as well. I would appreciate any insight into this. Thank you so much, Mary. Well, Mary, you're good to be wary of all these things. Uh, four ladies wearing all white were offering. What does that mean? Offering what? Healing? A healing? They can't offer a mass. Um, uh, it's it's for priests to lay their hands on people. Um not for lay people. Now, I'm not saying that God cannot give people uh, the gift of healing at times, but uh, I've, I've known of many of these sorts of situations, and they are simply false. They are fake. And the devil uh, looks for these to jump into them and, and mimic God. I would not trust it. I would stay far away from it, Mary. Okay, let me see now. Um, uh, and I am familiar with uh, who John Larry is, um, and I've known people that um, uh, who do follow him, and they're good people, but I, I cannot personally affirm him. Um, 
uh, Chris writes, Mother, what do you say about clapping in mass, the use of drums and priests dancing on the altar? I am a traditional Latin mass goer, but there is a Catholic order that uses the above. Would love your reply. It has nothing to do with Catholicism. Absolutely nothing. Clapping at mass, uh, if you believe our Lord is there, you should be on your face worshiping him, not clapping at mass. The use of drums is not appropriate at mass and priests dancing on the altar, absolutely zero. Um, picture our Lord dancing around the crucifix uh, on which he was crucified. He is the Passover lamb and the mass is the Passover filled in the Passover lamb who was crucified for us. Everything you've just described, clapping, dancing, drums, completely inappropriate and has nothing to do with Catholicism or Christianity. God bless all of you. And God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow. God bless you.